Good morning, Newcom. We are glad that you all are here with us this morning. We miss your faces and we miss your hugs, uh, but more importantly, our communal time together. We are grateful, however, for this technology and the opportunity to be with you. Our hope is that you feel God's newness um, as we worship together this morning. And just like we tell our kids every Sunday and kids come, know that you are created in the image of God and unconditionally loved. You're this morning called to worship. Oh God, look with compassion on your world and break down the walls that divide us. Take away arrogance, hatred, bitterness, pride, racism, greed, and feelings of superiority, which affect our hearts. Unite us in bonds of peace that in your good grace all nations and races live in harmony. Eternal Father, grant us grace and receptive repentance so that we might defer, serve, give, submit, accept, encourage, and bear with one another. And may we love others as we love you. With all the all your heart and soul, heart, soul, mind and strength, we ask this gift, loving Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hey guys, welcome to the Inslow's living room. I'm Bobby. This is Sheena. For those who don't know who we are. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to lead you guys uh, in some songs, and I uh, hope it's a blessing to you. We miss seeing all you guys' faces. I uh, hope you enjoy.
hope for the helpless. There's hope for the hopeless. And all those who stray, come sit at the table. Come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary. Rest that endures. Say it.
Our scripture for today is found in Jonah 2, verses 1 through 9. Join me as we read this together. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was wasting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have owed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Hi, new community. I want to invite you to join me in this community confession. Um, the words are going to be on the screen and I'll read through the whole thing with you. Um, but if you, I'll pause after my parts and then if you just read the parts that are under the people, uh, then we can go through this together. And I just want to encourage you to take a breath and just kind of, um, just be in a space that you are able to be in a posture of confession. And as we read this, I would also just encourage you to actually Think about the words that you're speaking and um, let this be a prayer to the Lord. Lord, infinite God, beyond all measure, the nations are but a drop of water before you. You are limitless while we are finite and failing. We mistakenly compare ourselves to you. We confess that we often limit you in our thoughts, words, and deeds. We believe you to be like us. We consider you limited in your power over difficulties that confound us, weak in your control over the chaotic world and distant in your walking with us in broken and shameful places. We speak with you the way we speak to others. In public worship, in public, we worship you with vigor, but in private, we fail to mention you throughout the week. We offer hollow words while our hearts drift from you. We act like we are fully capable and limitless. When faced with our weakness and the end of our strength, we fail to seek the one with endless strength, instead complaining and striving all the more to stand on our own. Father, in our believing, our speaking and our acting, we submit to you, the one who is limitless in mercy and love. 
remind us afresh of the good news that the infinite God dwelt among us in the person of Jesus to redeem and restore us to peace with you through the power of the Spirit. We pray this in the name of our God beyond all measure. Amen. Hello, new community. Thank you for joining us. I'm Emily Hutchins. Please join me as we read the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We are going to do something a little bit different uh, for greeting time this morning. One ancient and significant gesture in worship is the passing of the peace. And passing the peace is a tradition rooted in scripture that embodies our identity as peacemakers. Peace be with you is a greeting Jesus himself used with his disciples. And the apostle Paul opened each of his letters with the words, grace and peace be with you. So during our greeting time today, you can say, peace be with you, or grace and peace be with you, with a response of, and also with you. So using the chat bar on the side of your screen, uh, let's go ahead and greet one another this morning by passing the peace.
Hey Newcom, I hope you got the chance to pass the piece to your neighbor in the chat bar. And I also hope you had a moment just to receive that piece as well. I just have a few announcements for you this morning. First off is an upcoming event. Next Sunday, October 11th, we will be hosting a fall pumpkin party. Um, we'll be decorating pumpkins as a community at Manitou Park under the pavilion next Sunday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. So this is a great chance to connect. Any and everyone is welcome. We hope that you can make it even if you just stop by. If you plan to decorate a pumpkin, um, be sure to RSVP to Britt. She's going to have pumpkin kits prepared for decorating. So you can email her at Britt at new-community.com. We look forward to seeing you there. Secondly, I wanted to mention small groups. This is such an important part of our church life right now since we're not able to gather in larger groups and small group leaders just gathered on Zoom this morning before this service to dream about and pray for and think through how to best serve um, each of their small group members. So if you are interested in being a part of a small group or if you're looking for support um, or creative ideas on how your existing small group can gather during this time, then Julie would love to hear from you. Her email is julie at new-community.com. She would be happy to help you get connected. And last thing for me today, as many of you know, Joseph Peterson joined our staff team. He and his family just moved to Spokane this last week. They're getting settled in and part of his role is going to be with the youth group. So we have a message and an update from him. Well, hello friends. Great to see all of you. My name is Joseph and my wife, Nicole, and our two kids, Haddon and Ivy, just moved up from Portland, Oregon last week. We are so excited to be here. We wanted to say thank you so much for the love and the support and the prayer that you've shown our family over these last few weeks and months as we've made the transition. If you don't know, I recently joined the staff team and one of my roles will be to oversee uh, Newcom Youth. So if you are a student in grades 6 through 12 or you're a parent or guardian of a student in that age range, I just want to say a virtual hello. It's great to meet you. I would love to be there in person to meet you, but obviously we can't. That time will come. But for now, if you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Newcom Youth, the best way to do that is by signing up for our newsletter, which you can find on the website. So great to meet all of you. I'm so excited for what is to come. But for now, let's send it over to the amazing Brit and our KidsCom lesson from the book of Jonah. Jonah. So part of God's story is in the book of Jonah, and it begins like this. God told Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh and tell the people they have been wicked and they should stop being wicked or I will destroy them. But Jonah got scared and decided to go to the city of Tarshish by boat. Tarshish is in the opposite direction of where God wanted Jonah to go. Can you imagine running away from God? Anyway, when the boat was at sea, God sent a storm. The storm was so scary that all the sailors thought the ship was going to be destroyed. So they threw a bunch of stuff off the ship. I don't know how less luggage was going to help, but that's what they did. While all of this was happening, Jonah was inside the ship sleeping. The captain saw him and said, how can you sleep right now? Pray to your God and ask for help. Then the sailors decided to cast lots to find out who was responsible for the storm. Casting lots is a lot like the lottery, except when lots are cast, whoever wins doesn't always really win. 
like this time when the lot fell with Jonah. The sailors asked him what he had done to cause the storm and what they should do to make it stop. Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. That will calm the storm. But the sailors didn't want to. They tried really hard to row back to shore, but the ship just didn't go anywhere. So the sailors apologized to God for throwing Jonah overboard. And then they threw him overboard. I don't know if they ever apologized to Jonah, but God is the one who made the scary storm. And if you're going to apologize to anyone, you should apologize to God. It's just a good idea in general. So as soon as Jonah was off the boat, the storm stopped. I wonder if Jonah thought to himself, what am I going to do now? Well, God had an answer. All of a sudden, a big fish swallowed Jonah. Yep, Jonah was now inside a fish. Things went from bad to worse real quick. Now, the Bible says a fish swallowed Jonah. We don't know if it was a whale or something else. But whatever it was, it had to be big enough to swallow a man whole without having to chew. Kids, always chew your food before swallowing. You're not a giant fish. Anyway, Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. Can you imagine being stuck in a dark and stinky place for three days straight? Like a porta potty? Well, imagine being inside a big fish. Dark and sloshy and really stinky. Basically, a porta potty with fins. After the three stinky days, God made the fish spit out Jonah. Actually, fish can't really spit. Jonah got vomited out. Vomit is also known as puke, barf, pearl, oatmeal seconds, upchuck, blown grits, ralph, toss cookies, technicolor yawn, and chunder. Basically, the fish got rid of Jonah through its mouth. Do you get the idea? So while stinky Jonah was there on the beach, God told him a second time to go to Nineveh and tell the people to stop being wicked. This time, Jonah went to Nineveh. Listening to God is always a good idea. When he arrived, he told the people that God said they should turn from their evil ways. They believed him, so everyone, and I mean everyone, fasted and put on sackcloth. Fasting is when you don't eat and pray really, really hard. Putting on a sackcloth is putting on a sackcloth. Now, when God saw how they had stopped doing bad things and were really sorry, he decided not to destroy them. And that's the book of Jonah. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah ran away on a boat. Jonah got thrown off the boat to stop a storm. Fish swallowed Jonah. Three days later, fish threw up Jonah. Jonah told people at Nineveh to stop being wicked and they stopped. God didn't destroy them. And that's a part of God's story. We just watched the story of Stinky Jonah. And the part I want to focus on this morning is the idea that Jonah ran away from God, like used his two feet and ran. He was supposed to go to Nineveh, where people were worshiping and loving other things over God, which is not such a great thing. But it wasn't even that. Jonah ran away because he was mad that God would show them mercy and love when the Ninevites were being so bad. Hmm. I wonder if there's ever been a time where you thought something was unfair. Maybe your sibling got something you didn't, or someone got picked on by a bully. Our world is unfair, but you know what? God shows us by his example, especially in our story today, to love and show mercy to everyone. God believed, unlike Jonah, that the Ninevites could turn their hearts towards God and worship him rather than idols. That is the kind of God we get the opportunity to be in relationship with.
one who, no matter what, wants to be near, and no matter what, shows us his mercy, and no matter what, loves us absolutely, undoubtedly, unconditionally. Those are some big words. So for our craft today, we're going to make a cross to remind us of this beautiful, unconditional love that God has given every one of us. Now, a couple things we'll need. Uh, we'll need a piece of paper, some strips of tape, about three or four colors of finger paint or dot markers, whatever you have. Maybe crayons could work too. And some wipes to clean up. Now, I don't have any of that in front of me. I better get some. All right, now we have our supplies and a helper. So first thing you're gonna do is take your paper and you're gonna take some tape and you're gonna go around and outline a cross. So that way uh, we'll have a, like a solid border for your paint. So when we paint on this and we remove the tape, all the paint's in the middle of it. So we'll take our paints. I've prepared mine on this little sheet and we're about to get real technical. We're gonna take our finger and you poke the paint and then you poke your paper. You can take a different finger for different paint and poke the paper in all the different colors and we're gonna fill up our taped area. We're gonna fill in the cross here. So Alina, can you poke the paper? Don't eat it. <laughs> No, it's, it's gross. Alrighty. Well, I'm a partner down, but that's okay. Paint doesn't taste good. So if I hold this up now, you can see I have paint all in my taped off area and a couple bits outside, but that's okay. So I'm gonna go ahead and rip off my tape just using scotch tape and it looks like it's a little sticky and rips some of the paper. So if you have like painter's tape, that might be better. Alrighty, and so when we remove the tape, you see it's a nice defined line, but there's our cross that we've finger painted. Uh, so that's it. Uh, kids call them, know today that you are created in the image of God and unconditionally loved by Him. We love you, kids come. Good morning, new community. It is so good to be with you this morning. Uh, and I love the idea of us being back together, doing this once a month video service. But I, at the same time, have to be honest with you and tell you that uh, I am not a huge fan of being in front of the camera. Shockingly, video is not my thing. So my encouragement this morning is be gentle with me. Uh, I cannot see the chat bar that you're interacting on right now. So 
Whatever you do right now, be kind, be generous. This is my first take at a video talk online. Now, before we get started with the talk, I want to just give a couple quick updates that I think we could be praying about. First and foremost, we right now, I am sitting in an empty building uh, this morning, and you know that we desire for this building to not sit empty. This is more than just a place of worship. This is a place that we want to be used to further the kingdom of God. We want it to be a place where we seek the shalom of the city. And so there are several things that are still going on at the building. Shalom is still feeding uh, three, four, five thousand meals a month, um, and they're doing that on a weekly basis. Uh, AA groups are still occasionally meeting. Some of that has slowed down just to the COVID pandemic. Um, and then just this week, the building is starting to be opened up for educational use. It's going to become an educational pod for students at Lewis and Clark High School. Uh, so Hans and Gabe and the Young Life team have been working to partner with the school district uh, to provide a space that's safe for kids to come, to do their distance or remote learning on site, to be cared for by people, and then on top of that, uh, to have lunches and snacks provided, opportunity for Young, young Life volunteers and Hans and Gabe and the whole team uh, to interact with the students on a, on a daily basis. So I would encourage you, please pray for that opportunity and pray that God uh, would be favorable as allowing as many kids as possible um, to come and participate in that program. Uh, second thing I want you to pray for is Jeremy and Janelle Morris are back from a country in Africa. Now, I can't name the country in part because of the safety of the tribe as well as the mission that they're working with, uh, but they're back for a period of support raising and some rest. Leif and Jamie Gustason are also back. They're from Yulan Yude, Siberia, in Russia. Sent them there to work on church planting. Um, both of those couples are back for a period of rest, period of encouragement, uh, and really a time of preparation uh, to head back to the field. Um, now, there's a chance that you might not get to spend time with them simply because of COVID and a lack of our lar larger gathering. Uh, we might see if we can pull off a little bit of a podcast interview uh, so you could hear a little bit about their work and what they're doing uh, and their ministry and how it's going. But I would ask you, please pray for them. It's so great to have them back. Finally, I know we've been praying for a while for Michelle Estelle. Uh, and I believe, I honestly believe God is in the midst of doing a gradual miracle. Most of you know that Michelle uh, recently had three brain aneurysms. Uh, one of those burst, she went into brain surgery. Uh, she spent weeks in ICU. And then after that, she moved to a rehabilitation center for about a week. Uh, and then now she's home. And since she's been home, her progress has continued uh, to really ramp up. She was able to go out and have lunch. She's been interacting with a lot of people. She was recently cleared to drive, uh, I believe yesterday or day before yesterday. Uh, they're hopeful that she'll be able to get back to work in the near future as she builds uh, strength and stamina. So I honestly, it is a miracle in the making. Continue to pray, continue that she, uh, to pray that she would have a full recovery and that we'd have her back with us as soon as possible. Uh, we are in the midst of a series called Distant Cousins and Weird Uncles. And uh, the reason we went into this series is because we believe it is an opportunity for us to hear the prophetic, uh, to, to stop 
in the midst of the craziness, to listen to the voice of God in a season in which I think the prophets need to speak. And um, let me just take a moment before I get into our particular passage to just commend us as a community. Uh, I am so thankful to be a part of a community like New Community simply because we are willing to walk into challenging texts in the scripture. We're willing to consider the prophets in ways where we're challenged and yet hopeful. Uh, and that we're willing to listen to the voice of God, even if at times that voice is challenging. And so far, it has been challenging. We heard from the book of Joel to rend our hearts and not our garments, to really lean into this idea of repentance. Uh, and then from Amos, we considered that true worship, true worship is intimately connected to justice. If we say we love God and yet hate our brother, if we say we worship God and yet have no care for the poor, the alien, the foreigner, the widow, if that is our posture, then the truth is, Amos would say, it's not true worship. It should be rejected. And then last week, Kevin and Julie spoke on the topic of humility out of the book of Obadiah, this real um, posture that Obadiah and the surrounding nations had of pride, of being people who rejected the ways of Yahweh. And so into the midst of that, they were challenged with pride. And so we considered, what does humility look like for us personally? And are we be, being people that walk in humility? And today, we are continuing in the series by looking at the book of Jonah. And the idea or the big concept is that if we worship idols, we forfeit grace. I want to look at that this morning. Now, for many of us, Jonah is a very familiar prophet. Most of us know the background to the story. Uh, and hopefully you took some time this week to watch the video from the Bible Project. Uh, I know that many of you have said that uh, those um, videos, they're, they're well done, incredibly thorough, and uh, they provide a great backdrop to everything we're covering. But most of you know the story of Jonah, but I would just give you a quick little recap. Jonah gets a command from God, instead of traveling 500 miles to the city that he's supposed to go and share the gospel or the good news of Jesus, he goes 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. He hops on a boat, gets caught up in a violent storm, asks for himself to be tossed overboard. He swallowed whole in the belly of a fish. He prays to God in the midst of that, is released from the fish, travels back to Nineveh, preaches repentance, and then the city repents and is completely spared. And then Jonah and God discuss Jonah's feelings about it, which weren't that great, to be honest. And then we have the end of the story. Now, back in 2016, we at New Community taught a whole series on the book of Jonah. Uh, the central perspective being that the book is about Yahweh and not so much about the prophet. We tend to get caught up on what the prophet is doing. And the book really um, uses that as part of the story, but the story is primarily about God. See, part of the reason why that's the case is that the prophet lacks obedience he has no compassion. He fails himself to repent, and he has no heart for the gospel. That's a pretty strong statement to make. That's a harsh perspective to have of Jonah. Uh, but if you want to learn a little bit more about why I might hold a pretty harsh perspective of Jonah, uh, you can turn 
to a link. I think it's been provided this morning or it will be in an email. Um, September 18th of 2016, I gave a talk on the prayer that Jonah gives uh, in the belly of the whale or of the fish. Uh, So for the purpose of where we're headed today, what I want to do is kind of uh, look at our specific verse that's wrapped up in the middle of that particular prayer. Now in Jonah chapter 2 verse 8, there's this uh, really beautiful line that Jonah says, where he says something along the lines, if you pay regard to vain idols, you forsake the hope of steadfast love. Or in other versions, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Now that's our particular verse for this morning, and it's sandwiched in this prayer that he utters from the belly of the beast. Now a lot of people consider that prayer to be quite godly. Uh, And I think there's reason to think that or believe that. First of all, it seems like a godly prayer because Jonah quotes scripture in it. Uh, It's pretty doctrinally orthodox. Uh, It's full of hope. Um, Jonah says uh, a vow or a promise. He seems repentant. Uh, But I think that all of that is really read on the surface of the prayer. And this expression of repentance and trust in the Lord really is not there at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. So I want to give you just a couple quick ideas as to why I think that might be the case. First is both the beginning and the ending of the prayer. Jonah quotes scripture, but does it with some pretty creative edits. Here's what I mean. Jonah at the very beginning quotes uh, Psalm 120, and he says this, To Yahweh in my distress I called. However, what Jonah does that I find fascinating is he rearranges the words of the psalmist. And so instead he prays, I called from my distress to Yahweh. What he subtly does is moves his name to the front and Yahweh's name to the end. He places the priority on himself and removes God or displaces God to the end of the sentence. Same thing actually happens at the end of the prayer as well. Uh, He's quoting from another psalm, uh, Psalm 3, I believe, what he says, to Yahweh belongs salvation. And again, what Jonah does is he switches and then says salvation belongs to Yahweh. Again, the focus is shifted away from God and shifted to himself. Now, if you disbelieve that that has any effect or that he isn't being uh, incredibly me-centered, let me just suggest this that more than 20 times in eight verses, Jonah says, I, me, or my. The entire prayer is so self-centered, so directed at him and himself only. 20 times in eight verses, he says, I, me, or my. Now, not only that, but Jonah's prayer is incredibly full of self-pity. He blames God at one point for being driven away. And yet we all know that he was the one who ran away. He blames God for being thrown into the sea. And yet we know he instructed the sailors to throw him into the sea, meaning he would rather die than obey God. That he would rather end his life than submit to the plans of Yahweh. And on top of that, Jonah never once in the entire prayer mentions his own sin. He mentions other people, he mentions God, he mentions himself, but he never mentions his own sin. 
I think it's an incredibly hypocritical prayer, but in the midst of that hypocrisy, he says that those who pay regard to vain idols or those who worship idols forsake the hope of steadfast love or forsake grace. Now, what Jonah is doing is he's seeking in that verse to condemn the sailors. In fact, he's um, kind of making fun of them, saying that they're crying out in vanity, that they uh, really uh, don't know what they're doing in terms of their worship. And instead of calling them vain and lost, what he really does is reveals his own hypocrisy, the severity of that hypocrisy. And he does so unintentionally by saying that when we worship idols, we forfeit grace. So I want to take a moment and talk about idols. Uh, idolatry is something that is both external and internal. It's a reality that we often think of, but generally when we think of it, we think of it in the external terms. So our mind quickly races to this idea that, um, that there's some tribal religion, that they're carving images, that they're bowing down to statues. Uh, you might even uh, think of the idea in Exodus 32, I believe, where the Israelites, Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees them worshiping a golden calf. And that's the image we have. In fact, the Bible speaks often of external gods or idols. So he says things like, uh, we worship sun and moon and stars, that nations worship their own strength or their own army, that kings and political leaders and political figures can become in and of themselves idols. There's rain gods and sex gods and fertility gods and money gods, and all of those are really external. But the Bible doesn't stop by looking at idols or idolatry through external lenses. In fact, the Bible teaches that idolatry is something that we do, people do in general, in our heart. That idols can be at the very core of who we are. Now, there are several examples of this in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 14, it speaks of the uh, elders taking the idols into their hearts, it describes. Uh, in several of the minor prophets, like Habakkuk, you get this idea that idolatry is a arrogant self-reliance. It's this belief that I can accomplish and I don't need God. Colossians 3 even speaks to the idea of being covetous or greedy and that those things are in of themselves idolatry. Uh, but none of these um, internal things really get at uh, the full picture of how much we crave worship. Tim Keller makes this statement. I need to read my notes. The human heart is an idol factory that makes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we attain them. Tim Keller speaking to this idea that it is easy for us to create idols, to have our hearts be idol factories. So the question we should all be asking is, how does idol worship show up for us? Uh, in the book, The Mission of God, Christopher Wright, a theologian, uh, surveys the Old Testament and suggests that there might be four ways in which we tend to manufacture gods or idols. 
so first, we make gods out of things that entice us. So things that God has created that maybe are greater than us, stronger than us, um, that somehow captivate us, that we can ultimately be enticed to worship these things. Uh, he also describes that we make idols out of things we fear. Uh, some things in creation we know that aren't gods, that are feared like gods. Uh, we fear the future. We fear experiences we cannot control. And oftentimes, even in our own culture, we fear people more than we fear God. We fear their approval. We seek validation. Those are things that demonstrate that our trust or um, our ultimate uh, identity is derived from things we fear rather than from Yahweh. Um, he also suggests that we make idols out of things that we trust. So uh, idolatry manifests itself in things that we ultimately give our trust to. If we place our trust in someone or something other than God for deliverance or for satisfaction or for meaning or purpose, then really we've made that thing our God. So that might be for some of us financial security, that we crave trusting in what we can provide for ourselves. For others, it's comfort, uh, escape from difficulties. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a desire for personal fulfillment. Or we worship, you can even worship things that are really good, like worshiping a strong family or worshiping your own reputation. Um, not only do we make things out of, or idols out of things we trust, we also made a, make them out of things we need. What we ultimately do is we worship the gifts rather than the giver. Now, the truth is that when we worship idols, there are significant consequences. And again, I'm not just talking about graven images. I'm talking about the significant consequences to our own hearts and lives when we internally begin to worship or deify things that replace God. And what I want to do for the next few moments as I wrap up is I want to suggest a few ways that we, or a few consequences that perhaps come, and then offer a suggestion of a question or two that you might discuss as a small group. So first and foremost, one of the consequences of idolatry is that we rob God of the worship that He alone deserves. So when we give our full attention or adoration or loyalty or trust to anything other than God, then what we've done is we've robbed Him of the exclusivity, exclusivity of love for Him alone. So when our hearts manufacture idols, what we're doing is robbing the attention and the trust that God alone deserves. Now, a quick little small group question. Uh, how is our idolatry, your or my idolatry, robbing God of our full worship? And how might we make Christ alone preeminent in our lives? Second idea in terms of the ways in which uh, the consequences of idolatry is that idolatry often dehumanizes other people. So when we attempt to find our worth in something other than God, or when we seek our identity or ultimate happiness in other things, people often get hurt. Paul Tripp um, said one time that people turn into, when you, when you like 
want something or you desire or crave that fulfillment from something other than God, that people turn into vehicles to get what I want or obstacles in the way of what I want. So idolatry really turns people into vehicles to get what I want. We use them to accomplish our goals or they become stepping stones or obstacles or things that we have to knock over to get to the thing we desperately need. And in the midst of that, what we end up doing is dehumanizing people. As Kevin mentioned last week, they become pawns in our game of life. That we either use them to accomplish our agenda or simply knock them over to get out of the way. And what ends up happening is that idolatry dehumanizes. So a small group discussion question for you. In what ways is our idolatry dehumanizing? How is it affecting other people? And how can our worship of God alone motivate our love? A final idea. Our idolatry, as the text says, forfeits grace. Now Paul, when he was writing to the church of Thessalonia, or Thessalonica, uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 and 2, he speaks of this idea that, um, that they were eager to share not only the gospel with them, but their very lives. So he says that we came to you with the gospel We came to you with the Word of God, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we brought it with full conviction. And then he says that the people in Thessalonica received the Word with joy in the Spirit of God. What they received was the Gospel. And I think it's important for us to remind ourselves on a regular basis, what is the Gospel? The Gospel is first and foremost a person. In 1 John, it says this idea that that what was from the beginning, what we have seen, what we've heard, what we've touched, what we've looked upon, uh, the thing that we, this person we have interacted with, the one who is life, we testify and proclaim to you eternal life. That, That Jesus who was once with the Father has been made manifest to us because the gospel is first and foremost a person. But the gospel is also good news. It is the story of Jesus bringing the unending, stunning love of God to us. It is this expanding reality where the love of God begins to break down the dividing walls that stand among us. And right now there are many dividing walls, but the gospel breaks down divisions, breaks down walls, and restores relationships. I think the gospel is also the announcement that everything you could ever try to do, everything you could ever seek to earn has already been done. It's already been completed in the work of Christ. It's also the declaration that adoption into God's family, inclusion as a son or daughter of the King, is free to anyone who wants it. And so Paul is explaining this gospel to them that is first Jesus and his second good news every time it is received. And he says to them that they heard this report, they received the Spirit, and that they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. 
It's right there in the text, this idea that our heart going toward Jesus, our heart being consumed with the good news of the gospel, directs us, leads us away from worshiping any other idol to worshiping the living and true God. A small group question for you. How can reminding each other of the gospel move us away from idolatry? Because see, the opposite of forfeiting is receiving. The opposite of forfeiting grace is receiving grace. I'll close with this. The other day, uh, my daughter and I were in the car together, and uh, we had been talking about adoption. There are several children uh, in our small group that have been adopted, and uh, there's one, in fact, that is uh, currently in the process of being adopted. And so it's just amazing. We're praying through that right now. And um, while we're talking about adoption, I made this offhanded comment to her that adoption is one of the best decisions I and our family had ever made. And her face went aglow. And she simply said, ah, oh. she just received it. She lit up and received the acknowledgement that her being adopted It's one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. Now, that is the grace we can forfeit. So may we, new community, not give allegiance to idols. May we not forfeit the grace that could be ours by seeking to earn it. Rather, may we love God, may we love others, and may we remind each other of the good news of Jesus weekly. And may we simply receive it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We love you, new community. Have a great week.
you were challenged and encouraged by today's service. Let us close with this benediction. Newcom family, as you leave, may you be encircled with love. Love that empowers you to walk humbly with one another. Love that enables kindness to flow to the bruised and the brokenhearted. Love that erases judgment so that you experience a freedom to share this love with neighbors, co-workers, family, and friends. May this love equip you to defer to others, take on a posture of gratitude, and forgive both those who have hurt you and also yourselves. Go forth and live this good news of God's kingdom. We pray this blessing in the name of our God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace and have a great week.